today for a few moments, uh, we want to look in Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3. We're going to read one verse. We're following along with this series that we've been in the past few weeks. This is part four in this series of the unlimited God. We know God is unlimited. I'm so glad that we serve a God that, that we can say he is unlimited. If he was limited to anything, if there was anything he can't do other than go against his own word, then... He wouldn't be worth serving. But we serve a God who is fully unlimited. And today we, as we have talked about his unlimited power, we've talked about his unlimited love. Today we want to focus our attention for a few moments on his unlimited atonement. His unlimited atonement. We're going to look just in verse 9, in verse 9 alone because... uh, It seems like the way this series is going, it's just one verse. We'll say a few things about the verse, and then we'll talk about the fact that God's atonement is unlimited. Uh, This has been a challenge for me. It seems this series of messages is as much topical as it is expository, which you know I'm not creative. So we're going to try to stick with what the Word of God tells us about God's unlimited atonement have you wondered though have you ever have you been wondering why it is that that Christ hasn't come to receive his bride yet when we think about this world and everything that's going on all the wickedness I got a text prior to worship service that the sheriff's department was on site of a of a home near Fairmont that uh, of a homicide it seems like daily we're getting these texts that someone is trying to kill someone else. And most, in most cases, it's over nothing. It's petty stuff. It's petty stuff that if they didn't have a gun in their hands, they might have a bruised eye or they might have a, a bruised ego at the very most. And, and over nothing because of substances that are going on all throughout this world, we're taking one another's lives. And we see throughout this world, not only that, but the wickedness and the demon-possessed people throughout this world. Men who will abuse a child, women who will run a child into a lake to drown them, it's Instead of giving them to a home. Women who will go to a clinic and have a child ripped out of their bodies. And legislators who says it's okay. It's no, God, we ought to be wondering why God hasn't come and taken us out of this cruel world. We, We have all of this going on. If it's not a question that you're asking, we should be asking this question. Why hasn't God? But you know, oftentimes we think, of, we, when we do think about this, we, we think there's a big answer. There's a big reason why God's not, not uh, taking us out of this world yet, but it's simple. It's, very, it's a very simple reason. He just doesn't want anyone to perish. Not one person. And because God doesn't want one person, that person that you want to die, that you want to go to hell, that person you want punished, that you want dealt with, God wants them in his loving presence. And because of that, he is so long-suffering. We get here in this verse, that's exactly what he is sharing with us. That God, that he is long-suffering. As we look here in verse 9 in chapter 3, 
in 2 Peter 2, 2 Peter 3 and 9, the Bible says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Oh, what, a, what love. What love he has for us. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you that you're long-suffering with us. God, that when we should have been in the grave, when we should have opened our eyes in hell, you were long-suffering with us. Not willing that we would perish, but to give us another opportunity. God, we just thank you for those of us who have, who have come to receive you through your son, Jesus Christ, that we've received him as our Lord and Savior, and we have a relationship with you. God, we praise you, and we give you glory because it's because of you. It's not because of us. But God, if we're here today and there's anyone that doesn't know you through your son, Jesus, that God, today we pray that you would speak to their hearts and that they would cry out, what must I do to be saved? God, be with us. You lead us, guide us, direct us throughout this service. And let the the meditation of our heart, let the words of our mouth be pleasing unto you. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. God is not slack. And he's definitely not slack concerning his promises. He's an unlimited God. Therefore, he has no reason to be slack. Because he has all power, because he has all love, because what atonement that, that we are, that we get to receive is his, he's got no reason to be slack. And he's not slack concerning his promises. The only reason Jesus has not returned is he wants more and more people to come to repentance. And that, that scripture itself tells it all alone. That it is, it's come, that he wants us to come to repentance. In other words, you who are not saved, you who do not have a relationship with God, you who are not living for God, the reason we are here, the reason the church is still here is because of you. God loves you so much, he wants you to be part of his bride when he comes to receive us. When we look in this, we have to think about God's continuing weight on condemning sin. God is continually waiting to condemn sin. And he's doing this because he is long-suffering. The word long-suffering itself, it means that God is patient with us. He's steadfast and he is enduring with us. John 3 and 17, the Bible says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He didn't come with the intention of destroying us. He didn't come with the intention of, of, of sending us to hell. He didn't come with the, with the intention of condemning us. He came with the intention of saving us. You know, I, I don't believe any of us walk into our homes after a long day of work or after running errands or, or whatever it may be and you see your children or your grandkids and you just, you just something hits you and you just start wailing on them. I don't believe that's the intention of anyone in this place. Not that, we, not that that's something that we strive for, that we long to do. 
just because they misbehaved that we have an intention. Every time we see them, we want to wail on them. That's not who we are. We're not those kind of people. Uh, We really don't want to have to discipline our children, do we? It's all right to say amen. We don't want to have to. I want to tell you the first time, well, actually the only time I had to whip my daughter, I sat and cried for hours afterwards. It just broke my heart that I had to do that. I never understood. I never understood how a parent could say, it's going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. But I come to realize that that is very true. Physically, it may not hurt, but emotionally, it does. You know why? Because we feel like we've let them down. We feel like we've done something wrong for them to go wayward after we've tried our best to teach them to do the right thing. We feel like we've, we've messed up and we've let them down. So we want to make sure that we don't continue letting them down. So we, could, so we instill discipline. It's not something that we long to do. When my wife was pregnant, we didn't think, we, we didn't long that for the time, man, I'll be glad when that child gets here so I can tear her rump up. That's not what we were thinking. Man, that would be insane, wouldn't it? Yeah. God's not that God either. He's not just sitting in heaven looking down upon us, waiting for one that he can, he can punish. And God's not one that punishes those he loves. He disciplines us. There's a difference. Punishment includes anger. Punishment includes wanting to, to really teach them that, that they can't do this. But discipline wants to correct them. And God disciplines those whom he loves. The Bible says he corrects us. He disciplines us. He corrects us, puts us on the right path. That's what he longs to do. And he does it. He would not that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. So what, is, what did we do with our children? We warned them. We warned them, if you do that, I'll get you. If you do this, there's going to be consequences. If you do this, you ain't going to get to leave. If you're home late, you're not taking the car next week. If you don't go to church, you ain't going nowhere this evening. You can't leave the house. No, y'all don't do that, do you? I grew up with that. <laughs> I grew up, you don't go to church, you ain't going nowhere. You're not leaving the house up until I left home. Not until I became a certain age, but until I no longer sat my feet under daddy's table. That was the rules. And I was 24 when I left home. And that was still the rules. We want to correct our children. We want to discipline our children. And that's exactly what God wants to do with us. And he warns us. You who are unsaved, he's warning you. You're here today. He's warning you. He's speaking to you. He's letting you know that that condemnation is coming. There's a penalty that's coming for your sin. But he's warning you, giving you every opportunity. Because he doesn't want you to perish. God doesn't want anyone to face the condemnation of their sin. Because the condemnation is death. He loves us despite our sin. Despite our rebellion, he loves us. And his love for us is the very reason that Jesus came to this world to save us. God wants no one to perish. To perish, it's a terrible thing. It means to be utterly lost and destroyed. It means that you're cut off from life eternally. God does not want any to perish. He doesn't want anyone cut off and separated from him. But instead, God wants to spend eternity with us. And he wants us to spend eternity in his presence. 
And because of this, he's, he's long-suffering. Yes, God, God is continuing to wait on condemning those who are lost. But God has provided. If you're here today and you're lost and you think that condemnation is your only future, I want you to know God's provided atonement for our sins. Does that mean that you're going to live perfect? No. You nor I nor anyone else. And if anyone tells you they're living so close to God that they could count their sins, they're doing nothing but lying to you and deceiving themselves. We, we need to ask for forgiveness every day because for the things we don't know that we've done. Through his atonement, we can escape the penalty of our sin. The word atonement, it means satisfaction for a wrong or an injury. Atonement for, for the Christian is that, that though we are sinful, we've been reconciled to God. Because sin carries the penalty of death, because the Bible tells us that the wages of, our, of sin is death, there, is, there had to be a sacrifice to do away with sin. And because of the seriousness of sin, the sacrifice had to be sufficient. And God knowing that you and I, he knowing that we would miss the mark of living up to his standards, he sent his only begotten son into this world. His son, Jesus Christ, lived a sinless life in full obedience to God. He, in making him, this made Jesus sufficient to die, not only for my sins, but for the sins of the world. But not only for the sins in which we are, in which we are, are actually involved in once we get saved but our past our present and our future sins you know God Jesus on the cross dealt with all sin every sin that's ever been uh, committed from the garden to eternity until God comes and just destroys this world every sin is under the blood of Jesus Christ and we've been forgiven of those sins Jesus was the only one sufficient the only sacrifice sufficient for this. The death, his death was sufficient enough that there would never need to be another death for the sin of mankind. You know, we miss that sometimes. We are, we're, we're want to think that his death, his, his sacrifice was sufficient for what sins I commit after I get saved. As long as I stay in him. Well, we can't stay in him unless he keeps us in him. Amen. And we've got to come to terms with that. Yeah. That he don't need us. Amen. We need him. Amen. He desires us. And because he desires us, he shows us that we need him. And that causes us to desire him. Amen. You know, the day of atonement, this... This is actually a day in the, in the Jewish calendar. It was established by God. Here Isaiah says in 64 and 6, he says, but we, but we are an unclean thing and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. And because of this, in other words, Isaiah is reminding us that we are wicked within ourselves 
that there's nothing good about us apart from God. And if we want to be good, it's got to be his goodness in us. And here he's telling us because of this, God had to do something for us. And he established this day of atonement. It was as a process for sins to be forgiven. It was the offering of animals, incense, grain. It was the offering of money that could be used to, re- to restore fellowship with God. Oh, one on the day of atonement, the chief priest would enter into the Holy of Holies and he'd make an offering for himself. He'd make an offering for his family. And he'd make an offering for all of Israel. And after making these offerings, Israel's sins were symbolically laid upon the scapegoat. And, and the scapegoat was taken into the wilderness and it was to die. There was, and what that symbolized was that the sins were forgiven, but they were also removed from us. There's a big difference in those two things. I'm so glad that he he didn't just forgive me of my sins, but he removed my sins away from us. Why does that mean? It means that when I stand before an almighty God, because Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, my sins won't be brought up against me. I won't pay no penalty for the sins in my life. I will give an account. I'll miss rewards, but I won't face the penalty of the sins. When Jesus died on the cross and I received him as my Savior and you received him as your Savior, that one sin that was sufficient enough to send us to hell, that one sin was forgiven and that one sin can never be laid on our account again. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that, that he not only forgave us, but he removed our sin away from us. Leviticus 16 and 22, the Bible says, and the goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to an uninhabited land and he shall be released and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. In other words, they're, they're taking that goat and all the sin of the nation placed upon that goat and they would release it into a place where it would never come back. It'd never come back to them. And you might bring my sin up to me I might bring my sin up to you. Your sin, the devil may bring your sin back to your remembrance. He brings mine to my remembrance constantly. But I want to promise you, God will never do it. If you're wondering if it's God or Satan, if he's bringing up your past sins, it is Satan. It's not God because the sins of man are covered under the blood of Jesus Christ. Yes, one day. This, but in the fullness of time, God saw that the blood of bulls, the blood of goats, the blood of birds, it would no longer suffice for the removal of sin. You know, when when this was taking place, the blood of these animals that was sacrificed, or the sacrifice of these animals were to cover those sins. And then the next year when the Day of Atonement came, they, they went back to the temple and the priests would, would do the same thing. It was a ritual they went through year after year after year. Telling us that these animals' sacrifices wasn't sufficient. It wasn't sufficient enough to cover all sin. So when God, when, God, when the fullness of time come, we... God knew we would need a sacrifice that was holy, without spot, without blemish, whose whose blood would justly cover our sins once and for all. 
He sent his only begotten son who lived on earth, who knew no sin, to become the, the sin sacrifice for all men, women, boys, and girls. As a matter of fact, 2 Corinthians agrees with this. It says in 5 and 21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And now because of the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, the sacrificial lamb of God, we, we can be forgiven eternally from our sin and be reconciled for eternity with God, our heavenly father. The songwriter said it this way, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And when you get to wondering about that atonement, if it's, if it's for real, all you got to do is just keep singing that song. When you get around the second or third verse of it, it tells us not nothing for sin atoned, nothing but the blood of Jesus. No for good have I done nothing but the blood of Jesus. In other words, there's nothing that can atone for your sins. There's nothing, no, no good you can do to atone for your sins. It's all under the blood of Jesus. And I'm so glad he fixed it that way. I'm so glad because you know, there's some days you, you, you can agree with this. If you don't, that's all right. It's true anyway. There's some days I'm much better than I am other days. There's some days I, I, I'm, I, do, I do a better job at, at being a light in this world than I do other days. And you too, because some days we wake up and it's already on us. We're, we're already been beat down by the devil throughout our sleep. We wake up mad because we've had to wrestle with him. And we, we're mad with everyone else until God gets a hold of us that day. You know, that's, I think that's why it's good for us to wake up and the first thing on our mind should be find the word of God to get whatever took place in our dreams away from us and get our minds focused on him so we'll have a better day. Yes, Jesus and the blood of Jesus is the only thing that will atone for our sins. But who? Let's ask that question. Who? Who can receive God's atonement for sin. Who can receive the blood of Jesus Christ? Well, I don't want to tell you my opinion. I want to tell you what the scripture says. And when you want to, when you wonder who can really receive the forgiveness of God, the scriptures tells us uh, whoever. As a matter of fact, King, King James, the King James Version says whosoever. I love that word, whosoever. Whosoever. It includes everybody, doesn't it? Matthew 12 and 50, Jesus declared, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. In Matthew 16 and 25, the Bible says, for whoever desires to save his own, his his life will lose it, but whoever lo loses his life for my sake will find it. In John three sixteen, that beloved verse, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 4 and 14, it says, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will, will, will be Give him will become in him. I found the water springing up into eternal life. In other words, the Bible is clear to us that whoever will come to the Lord, you can receive forgiveness. But he doesn't just say 
whoever. As a matter of fact, let's, let's, let's go a little farther. Revelation 10 and 13, it says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what nationality you are. It doesn't matter what creed you are. It doesn't matter what culture you belong to. If you'll call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. Because he says, whoever, God's atonement is unlimited. It's unlimited. It's for whoever, but it's also for as many as. You know, the Bible teaches us that, doesn't it? In Matthew's gospel, in in 22 verses 1 through 14, what we find is a parable about a marriage feast. And in that parable, God sends out an invitation to those who are willing to come. And and what happens is there are so, so, those who he sent the invitation out were unwilling to come to this marriage feast. So what does he do? He sends out another invitation. And those that he sent out to at that point, they would not come. And some would even beat up or, or they would harm the messenger and I want to tell you be careful when you're trying to kill the messenger because if it's a messenger of God God will walk away from you and he'll take his hand off of you if you're touching his anointed that's what they were doing so what did God do (coughs) the king told his servants he said therefore go to the highways and as many as you find invite them to the wedding it's not just whosoever or whoever, but as many as. So whoever will come, as many as will come. In other words, it don't matter if one person comes down an aisle on a Sunday morning to give their life to the Lord. If he's dealing with you, you come too. We can have this church filled up with sinners who are giving their life to the Lord. And we'll just praise God for it. We sometimes want to think, well, so-and-so's gone up and, and I'll just be in the way. No, you won't. There's enough men in this church who know how to lead you to the Lord that somebody will come and help. And they will help lead you to Jesus Christ. Yes, this parable helps us to see also <coughs> that we, the Gentiles, were in the mind of God. So when we talk about whosoever, we talk about as many as. He's not talking about just the Jewish nation. He's talking about you and I too. It doesn't matter. It's whosoever will and as many as will come. We're invited to receive the forgiveness of God because it's unlimited. But the Bible doesn't just tell us whosoever. It doesn't just tell us as many as. It says many he says many. The word many is used twice in Matthew's gospel as it relates to as it relates to atonement. In Matthew 20 and 28, the Bible says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Again, in Matthew 26 and 28, he says, For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Now, I, got, I, I know exactly where you're at because I got there too. Some of you are thinking, well, now you're saying many. That's not all. That doesn't equal to all. As a matter of fact, there, there's two different things. I know you're trying to, you're probably thinking about that, but I want you to know they don't contradict one another. In Romans 12, in Romans 5, 12 through 19, it helps us to see that while through one man, Adam, Adam that man, Adam, sin entered into all men. 
However, through one man, Jesus, many have received the gift of the grace of God. And there is no contradiction here. Well, well, then your question is, well, why hasn't all received it? Because all doesn't choose to receive it. As many as, the many that have chosen to receive the grace and the gift of the grace of God have received this. Listen, folks, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what you've done in your life. You can receive forgiveness. You haven't gone too far that you can't turn back here to Jesus. And if you turn to Jesus and you walk this road any length of time and you you go through a valley and you come out a victor, you're going to find yourself saying, I've come too far to turn back to the world. You ask these saints of God who's been saved and who's, who, who knows that God is worked in their lives and they'll tell you that he is worth serving. If there wasn't a heaven, just knowing that he walks with us day to day, it's worth serving him. And when we're going through valleys and we come out victors on the other side, we can say that it's... We've gone too far to turn back now. But you've got to make that decision. There's no contradiction. While God's love is, his atonement is unlimited, you've got to be willing to receive Jesus as your Savior. He says here, not only is there, what have we said, whoever or whosoever, we've said as many as, We said many, there's also the all. We see the all throughout scripture. In Romans 4 and 11, it says, And he, being Abraham, received the sign of the circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all. That he would be the father of all. Not a select few, but the father of all who believe. So they were uncircumcised that righteousness might be imputed to them also. Yeah, he's saying here, Abraham is, the writer, Paul is talking about Abraham being the father of all. He's been the father of the circumcised and the uncircumcised. If we receive Jesus as our Savior. In Romans 8 and 32, he says, And who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all? How shall we? How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Yes, we're all, we're all able to receive his forgiveness. Romans 10 and 12, it says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. So all you've got to do is call upon your heavenly father, and you can become an heir to his throne. But there's one more. There's one more the Bible speaks of. Not just whosoever. Not just as many as. Not just the many. And not just all. But he says everyone. Everyone. John 6 and 40. He says this is the will of him who sent me. That everyone who sees the son and believes in him. May have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. Atonement is for everyone. It's, but it's only effective for everyone who fears him, who receives him, and believes in him. Truth is this. Jesus died for every soul that ever lived and that will ever live.
That's the unlimited atonement of God. The Calvinists teach there is a limited atonement. Now, John Calvin himself wouldn't say what these Calvinists are saying. John Calvin said that it's the power of the atonement is unlimited, but it's limited to those who receive it. Isn't that what we believe? The Calvinist says it's limited to those who God chooses for eternity. Given the implication that God created some for hell. But that's not what God done. He's long suffering. If that was the case, the church would already be out of this world. But God is so long suffering that he would not that any would perish but that all would come to repentance there are no limits to the atoning work of Jesus Christ there's just this one condition we must receive the gospel we must believe that Jesus is the son of God and that he was born of a virgin he lived a sinless life he took the sin of the world and placed them upon his shoulders and he died a sacrificial death for all mankind We must believe that on the third day he arose from the grave, conquering death, hell, and the grave. And folks, if you believe that, that's the hard part. If you believe God would come down, clothe himself in flesh, be born of a woman, and walk the dusty roads of Jerusalem. If you believe that, that's the hard part. If you believe that they beat him, They nailed him to a cross. He commended his own life into God's hand. They couldn't take it. He commended it into his father's hand. They buried him and on the third day under his own power he arose again. If you believe that, that's the hard part with salvation. The easy part is confessing. You must be willing to confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So will you today? We hope you've enjoyed the message today. And if you happen to not have a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, we want to invite you to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. It's as simple as the ABCs. If you would admit that you are a sinner and that you are in need of a Savior and believe that God sent His very Son, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth to be the sacrifice for our sins, and that he died for our sins, and he arose on the third day. And then if you would confess him as your Lord and Savior, you can be saved. You must believe this with all your heart, and you must be willing to serve him. If you are, all you have to do is talk with Jesus. You don't need a preacher. You don't need a church to get saved. But if you get saved, find yourself a Bible-believing church. And I believe God will richly bless you.